Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I would love it if, if you have a Bible, that you'd open the scriptures to the Acts of the Apostles. If you don't know where that is, you'll find it towards the end of the Bible. If you go right to the end of the Bible, you'll come to a, a book called Maps. If you turn left, you get to Revelation, and then uh, there's a whole bunch of other books. And then you'll get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts of the Apostles. And we haven't got a whole lot of time. Um, but, but I think God wants to say a couple of things. And I think the one thing that God wants to say is this. I have an agenda for your life. Have an agenda for your life. It's a very, very simple agenda. It goes like this. My ambition for you is we. My ambition for you is we. I have a centered ambition for your life, and it's we. It's that you and I know each other, that we walk together in intimacy, that we have a relationship together, that we love one another, that I get to speak to you and you get to speak to me. I have one ambition for your life. It's we. But I think also the Lord would want to say, hey, that one ambition is going to get worked out. Because alongside that one ambition, I have a goal for the we, and that's them. So I have an ambition for your life, that's we. But I have a goal for that ambition, and that's them. Everything we do is for everyone who doesn't yet know Jesus. This is for that. This is for that. If all we do is this, it's only half complete. Because when you do this, you get sent for that. Everyone who doesn't know the love of God is supposed to be included in the people of God, by the people of God, when the we starts to operate. But I think the Lord has something else to say. I think he would say, you know, my ambition for you is we. The plan is them. But the strategy is us. The strategy is us. I have a plan for family. I have a plan for family. I have a plan that you and I should begin to look like family, that we should walk like family, that we should share like family, that we should should talk like family, that we should confront like family, that we should argue like family, and we should love and care like family. I have an ambition. You see, when you begin to read the New Testament, and if all you had was the New Testament, you wouldn't come up with this. Sorry to say. You wouldn't come up with a, you know, a cool hipster band smoke machine and everyone facing front and looking at a massive screen. You wouldn't come up with that. You might end up with it at some stage in some way, shape, or form. And I don't think this is wrong. And I love this. And a big stage is amazing because I love the stage. And all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Perhaps you wouldn't come up with this. You probably wouldn't come up with a charity called Church. You wouldn't come up with a whole bunch of events. Church was never intended to be a postcode. It was never intended to be an event you came to. It was never intended to be a a, a pin on Google Maps. Church is supposed to be a family. And when you begin to read the New Testament, what you find again and again and again is that the language is family. Sons and daughters, mothers and fathers that we're called to be a community of faith. And I imagine that if you just read the scriptures and you came up with nothing else and you had no other reference to church, you'd probably come up with a family and a meal. It's what you'd come up with. 
A group of people who knew how to share together or a group of people who knew how to love together. And I think that what God is wanting to do is break out in a radical and new way. But I think we need to discover what family is all about. I think we need to re-understand what church is all about. So I haven't got any time at all, but I want to read just one passage of scripture and I want to make a few suggestions and then I want to pray for us. Is that okay? Do you think it's brilliant? About six people said yeah and everyone else was indifferent about the whole thing. But we're going to go. I want to go to the Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 and read a passage that if you've been around church long enough, you could probably preach it. And then one verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the story is this. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church, just as Jesus said he would. And when the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. This group of people who were frightened and fearful because they really didn't know what was going on suddenly become bold. Suddenly they don't care anymore. Suddenly they're fearless And suddenly they know what they're carrying. And then we read this, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I want you to know one thing, that's normal. What we do sometimes as church is abnormal. This, according to the scriptures, is norm. That's normal stuff. And now now I want to read one verse to you, which I think, well, I know you'll find it in Acts chapter 4, but I think it's Luke's commentary on that stuff. It's Luke saying, you want to know how that happened? You want to know how that's possible? Because that's deeply attractive. It's kind of primarily attractive. Something is going to happen if that happens. If you want to see a viral epidemic of the love of God, you need to learn how to be family. Because people are going to see that and it's going to be so deeply attractive that it's going to change everything. Because people out there are yearning for community because what they have currently is pseudo-community. They've got a million retweets, a, a, a thousand friends, hundreds of favorites, and loads and loads of winky faces, but they don't actually have friends. They don't actually know what community is like. They don't actually understand what family is like. And so if you're going to see this, you need to understand this. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. All of them. One in heart and mind. One in soul. God did something that took thousands and thousands of people because by that time there were thousands of them. And they all began to think the same stuff. And they all began to feel the same stuff. So that when they acted in different ways, they did so like family. That's what Scotland needs. 
It needs a group of people who show this is what community looks like. This is what God looks like. This is what it looks like to know God. This is what it looks like to act as if you know God. This is the generosity of God. This is the favor of God. These are the purposes of God. This is the family of God's people. So just a couple of thoughts then. Never before has this been more needed. Never before has this been more needed. One heart and one mind. They thought differently. They had a different philosophy of family. I don't know about your family, but my family has a philosophy. We don't articulate it, but if you came around our family, you'd see what the philosophy is. If I came to your family, I could tell you what your philosophy is. My family's philosophy is probably loud, eat a lot, um, have opinions, some of them quite vociferous, um, and probably we don't make decisions very well. You know, because basically we don't want to shut off options, so we don't like to decide on things. Basically, we've been trying to get a dog for like seven years. Everyone else wants a dog. I don't want a dog. When I want a dog, they don't want a dog. Then we decide we do want a dog, and we kind of work out what kind of dog we're going to have. I don't want, I've got to live with five women. I don't want kind of a handbag dog. That's not going to go down very well. I want a dog dog. And then, you know, so so we just can't, that's the kind of philosophy. I I just want to explain very quickly the philosophy of this family. Just a number of real quick thoughts. The first thought is this. They thought we and not me. This is really counterintuitive stuff and countercultural stuff. They thought we, not me. They didn't think that I had any right to hang on to my stuff, own my stuff, think it's all about me. No, no. The, the, The New Testament says again and again and again, it's about us, not you. It's about the the community, not the individual. It's very hard to read the New Testament and think you can have an individualized relationship with God. It's about us. Love one another, care for one another, look out for one another, prefer one another. It's calling us to family and community that is different class. It's different kind. It does it all the time. You can't continue. Your relationship with God is personal. has to be. You have to come into a relationship with God personally. Your parents' faith is not good enough. Your friend's faith is not good enough. He wants an encounter with you and he wants to change your life and he can do so even today. And he wants it to be personal. You have to decide to follow Jesus. He's died for you, he's come for you and he says, I want a relationship with you. It has to be personal. But it never is private. It's not private. Every time we try and make it private, we deny what God is wanting to do. And we hide ourselves in corners and we deny anyone else speaking into our lives and we deny growth in our lives. And we don't grow and we don't change and we're not being discipled because it takes a community to disciple people. It takes a community to raise kids. It takes a community to knock the edges off of you. It takes a community to love you. It takes a community to love a community. It's personal, but it's not private. It's about we, not me. Second thought is this. They thought devote and not float which I know is cheesy but it's the best I could come up with they have this thing there's there's this Greek word in in the Acts of the Apostles that that Luke uses a lot of the time he says the word is proskaterio it's used almost nowhere else in classical Greek And, and the word means this it means they bound themselves by a pledge to one another they bound themselves by a pledge to one another Now, this is really important because the generation below me, my generation as well, doesn't really understand devotion. Devotion is an old school word. Devotion means that I'm married to Nikki. We've been married 22 years and we're in it for keeps. I love her. 
I passionately love her. She's fantastic. She's by far my better half. But it also means I will love her and I will continue to love her and we're going to walk this thing through. I have a different relationship with Tesco's than I do with Nikki. You'll be pleased to know. You know, so if Tesco's gives me a bad sausage, I don't go back to Tesco's, I go to Waitrose. Because I have a transactional relationship with Tesco's. I don't have a transactional relationship with Nikki, but so often we have transactional relationships with God. And we have transactional relationships with church. And we have transactional relationships with community. If they hurt me, I'm gone. If, if they didn't give me good teaching, I'm out of here. If the worship didn't suit me, I'm, I'm out of here. Or if I didn't understand what was going on, I'm gone. No, 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 no. You're pledged to life, to this family. You don't walk out on family. You're devoted to this thing. They bound themselves together and they said, we're in this thing and we're going to stay in this thing because God has called us. That's family. That's what it looks like. They thought, they thought ours and not mine. This is really practical, but the scripture says that they, um, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, now, fellowship has become a really naff word in our culture. It means quiche and um, little sausages with sticks and really bad church coffee. If you've grown up in church, that's what it means. It means we're going to fellowship. You know? It's become this like, kind of naff word that we don't want to do this thing. But actually, in the Greek, it's an incredibly strong word. It means this. They decided they were going to have all things in common. That's what it means. The word is koinonia. We have a community that says everything that is mine is yours because it started with him and it belongs to him. We have a community that says what is in my hand is not for me, it's for everyone around me because we're building family. We share. You see, if we don't understand that, we get what we get, we earn what we earn and we think it's ours and so we spend it and we keep it. And the kingdom of God is not blessed. But if we understand that everything comes from him and we hold it like this and it's for everybody else, then we give it and we share it and suddenly the kingdom of God increases because God's stuff is being blessed and used for God's kingdom. And the, the family thing happens. Final two thoughts. They thought include and not exclude. Was, this is really important stuff and I haven't really worked this through yet, so stay with the dodgy thinking. But they thought include, not exclude. This is really important for us. This community was remarkable because people looked into it and they saw something that was just so countercultural. They saw gladness, they saw generosity. But let me tell you this this community was completely dysfunctional. It's not that Jesus looked around his disciples and he went, Ooh, likely to succeed. Hmm, good dresser, like you. Or you're an amazing guy. I get on really well with you. Let's have you in the gang. And then he chose kind of the poster kids. Listen, just check this out. He chose James and John, who were called sons of thunder, not because they were good at weather forecasting, but because they had anger issues. And he says, that you're going to lead these guys. You're weird, but you're going to lead these guys. He chose, he chose Simon Peter, who was frequently wrong, but never in doubt. Do you know people like that? Just kind of irritating kind of people. He chose Andrew who was perfect. I mean in the scriptures you never hear anything bad about Andrew. He's kind of irritating kind of perfect person. He chose Simon the terrorist. That's what he's called. Simon the zealot. Simon the terrorist. 
He's in the gang. He's one of the leaders of the gang. These are a dysfunctional bunch of guys. He chose Thomas, who was going to doubt. He chose Matthew, the tax collector, or Matthew, the scum. Tax collecting was the worst job you could get. He was a collaborator with the Romans. He skimmed off the top. It was everything. It was, he chose the worst kind of gang. This wasn't the beautiful people. This was family. I think this is really important. How many of you... Um, how many of you have people in your family, either immediate or extended, who you find it really difficult to like, but you love? Come on, you, you, you know, there are people, aren't there? I'm very surprised that it's not everybody. You got kind of, there are people. How many, how many of you think it might be you? <laughs> Excellent. So, do you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have this feeling that if we're gonna build the kind of communities that are family, that really are the church of Jesus Christ, that really hold stuff like this, that really love the unlovely, that really get involved in the community, that really evidence who God really is and reflect the image of God and the glory of God, if we're gonna build these kind of communities that isn't about everyone standing, sitting in a certain direction and looking at the great big screen and saying, that's church. If we're gonna do that kind of stuff, we're gonna to have to intentionally include the people that we find weird. I think so. I think we're going to have to say, well, you, honestly, I don't think you should do this, but I think you're going to have to look over and go, well, you're weird. You can be in my gang. I find you difficult. I'll tell you why. Because at the heart of the gospel are two words called grace and forgiveness. And, and, and if, if you never need to exhibit grace and you never need to give forgiveness, you might ask yourself whether you've created an artificial community that isn't really community and isn't family because you need people who are going to rub up against you so you can begin to understand grace, give grace, experience grace, and have grace. So go looking for somebody in your family. Now, don't tell them they're the person because actually they may be thinking that you're the person <laughs> that they're choosing at the time. Let's look for people. Final thought. They thought out and not in. This is a remarkable community. This is genius by the Holy Spirit, by the way. Because he knows something about you that he knew about them. That if they spent their whole time trying to build this really sweet community, eventually it will become toxic and implode. Because how many of you know that unless you reach out with the love of God, unless you give what you've got away, if you spend all of your time trying to look after yourself and your close family, it becomes toxic and not healthy. I tell you why, because you begin to recognize the dysfunctionality in the group. You begin to recognize your sin in them, their sin in you, and you begin to talk about stuff rather than fishing. Here's the thing. If dreams start to happen in your community, if you start to reach out and love out, it will grow strong and the world will get changed. There is so much potential in this room. But if church for you and for me is just about showing up to an event, getting excited, jumping up and down, shouting and looking at a big screen, occasionally taking bread and wine, then it isn't gonna work. Because that's not how God set it up. God set it up for you to be in family family that challenges you, family that changes you, family that's generous towards you, family that begins to evidence the life of God. And you know what happens if you get family like that? Children start to get fostered and adopted because we begin to trust that that's what God is doing. We permission it and encourage it. What, what, what happens is the excluded get included. 
what happens is the poor get provided for, the sick get healed. What happens is the rich start realizing they can't live on in ownership and they start giving their stuff and it frees their lives. What happens is it becomes entirely beautiful and people see it and they get attracted and then it becomes an easy win to say, hey, this is Jesus. This is the body of Christ. This is what it looks like. This is how it operates. See how we love one another. See how we're being changed by one another. See what God is doing. Here's the thing. If I stop now and we come on, we do some ministry and you walk away, it won't work. Because you can get inspired and you can have a few good ideas about how to do community, but actually everything in this world is orientated towards this not working. Everything will rail against it, everything. Your selfishness, your individuality, the world around you, the whispers of the enemy, everything will. Isn't it wonderful that the community of God's people gets set up in the power of the Holy Spirit? Isn't it amazing that that's what the Holy Spirit does, first thing? It says, you can't do this family thing, but if you somehow manage to make it work, it will change the world. So here I come with power to give you grace, to give you strategies, to give you favor, to give you ideas, to give you resources, so you can build this kind of community that will change the city and change the nation. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. So would you stand with me? And after the... um, the shortest and fastest sermon I've ever done in my life. <laughs> it's a clap. <laughs> I know how to take that. <laughs> I'm going to choose to take it well. Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, you know how... It, it, so we're, we're just very practical in this church. If you're going to receive a gift, you open your hands because otherwise you drop the gift. So if you want more of God, more of his Holy Spirit, more of this, maybe some of the stuff that was being prayed over us by some of the, the guys earlier, maybe some of, something in the song that was being sung, maybe you're just saying, God, I want more of God. Maybe, maybe you're saying, I'm desperate for community and I'm desperate for life. I want more of God. Maybe even today you're here and you're going, I don't even know Jesus, but it's very, very attractive to me. I want more of God. You know, he loves to answer that prayer. Just receive from him. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord and giver of life, breath of the Father, would you come? And would you ruin us for ordinary things? Would you change the shape of our church? Would you build community of faith that is real and intentional and vulnerable and generous and life-giving and attractive? And from that place, would you send us out? Father, we don't have the resources for this. Holy Spirit, would you come? We can't make it happen. Holy Spirit, would you come? We can't love people the way you want want us to love people. Holy Spirit, would you come?
Would you give us compassion for those that you have a compassion for? Would you give us love for those we find it difficult to love? Would you take our resources and would you use them for your kingdom's purposes? Because we say it's not mine, it's yours, and therefore it's ours. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.